0: got your Bibles, I want you to go Genesis chapter 2, and uh, welcome to Refuge. If you haven't been here, you haven't been here in a while, um, we are walking through the book of Genesis chapters 1 through 4, and we're in a series called Origins right now, and we're just taking a look at um, what the beginning was all about. And we've kind of been journeying through this. We found out a few things. We found out that God is the creator of all things, and he created all things, and then he sculpted them and put them together so that it would be good for us to live in the land. And on the sixth day, he created us in his image, and we were bearing his image. We were image bearers. There's nothing like you in creation. Nothing. Birds are not like you. Animals are not like you. Trees are not like you. We bear. You bear. I bear the image of God. So there's nothing like you. And then, as image bearers, our job was to reflect holy God in every way. Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden, and they had face-to-face relationship with God. Can you imagine that? That's crazy, right? And then we know what happened. Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes, he's disguised, he dilutes the word of God, and he deceives the man and the woman, and they fall. And the image of God is skewed, it's broken, it doesn't reflect anymore. We've also found out that God created man and woman last week for specific roles. They're equal in creation, right? As much as the guys would like to say, yeah, we're better, or the girls like to say, yeah, we're smarter. um, We're equal in creation, but we're different in role. God has given guys a specific role. It's to lead. It's to pastor his family. It's to be the spiritual husband, father, leader. And for women, it is to be a nurturer, a helpmate, and it's just as important of a role. So this week, as we kind of journey through this, um, we're going to ask a question. Anytime we kind of walk through the scriptures, a lot of times the scriptures will intersect with a very um, popular topic in pop culture. And so when that happens, if I'm teaching through a passage, I like to stop and kind of address that. And so tonight, what we're going to ask this question, um, the question that we're going to address tonight is this, is God green? Um, Not like the color, but does God care about the environment, right? Right. And should we, as Christians, care about the environment? Now, raise your hand if you've ever heard anybody in a sermon or in a church talk about the environment. Okay, not a whole lot, right? We don't talk about this a lot in church, okay? So I'm going to go there, and let me tell you what this is not tonight. This is not a, uh, hey, if you've got a big truck that uses a lot of gas, you need to go sell it to obey the Lord, okay? That's not what this is. This is not reduce your carbon footprint, okay? This is not what this is, okay? Tonight is not uh, green hippie propaganda. That's not what this is. But what it is is how should we as Christians biblically respond to a culture that is increasingly becoming more concerned with this word green? I mean, you see it everywhere, right? You You go to the grocery store. There's green products. There's organic things you can buy, right? Increasingly, more and more, stores are wanting to become green. Companies are wanting to become green. People who make cars want to make environmentally friendly cars. You want to know why? Not just because they care about the environment, but because it's become something that's almost like this status symbol, right? It's like, I'm green. (laughs) I don't drive a big truck. I plug my car in, right? It was like, What? (laughs) So people are really concerned about this issue of being environmentally friendly, and really in the past like two or three years, this has just become an issue. But it's almost become very trendy, right? Like I have I have a hemp car, and um, and uh, my car does not run on gasoline; it uh, runs on uh, milk. Uh, so I'm like, what? <laughs> I make my own gasoline. You know those people that do that? I don't know how you do that, but you t- they take like trash or something and make their own. I don't understand that, but it's cheaper. So I'm like, cool. It's like cooking oil or something like that. Anyway, so people are really, really concerned about being green. Companies are really concerned about being green, but it's almost become the status symbol. Well, what we see in Genesis chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2. What we see in Genesis chapter 2 is God putting Adam right smack in the garden, in the middle of creation. So tonight we're going to talk about the artist and his art. Because that is what we're talking about. Tonight is not about reducing our carbon footprint. Tonight is not about I should be green or I should be this. Tonight is about God has placed us in his creation. What should we do with it? It's not a political agenda. It's God has created and he's placed us in it. So what do we do with it? What is our response? And so the scripture intersects with a very popular topic of our day. Look at Genesis 2.15. This is where we'll kind of start tonight. And in a minute, we're going to hop over to Psalm 8. Genesis 2. 15. It says this, then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden. Now check this out. You have a pen or a highlighter. You may want to use it right here. He put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. To work it. Everyone say, work it. No, you got to say it with attitude. Everybody say, work work it. There you go. Yeah and keep it. You can't really say that with attitude, but you go ahead and say, "Keep keep it. So he put him in there to work it and keep it. Some of your translations that are sitting in your lap will say something like this. He put the man in the land to work it and watch over it. It's the same concept here. So God puts Adam in the land and he has a purpose for him. And it says it was for him to work it and to keep it, that he gave him dominion over all the land. You know what we did on the first week? We said that God Barad the earth. He created it out of nothing. <laughs> like if I were to say, here's a sandwich, poof, sandwich appears. Then he asad the earth. He took the elements of the earth, and he formed them, and he made animals, and he brought them to the land, and he made trees come up out of the land, and he made it a place for them to live, right? And then he puts the man in it, and what's he tell the man to do? He says, work the land, watch the land, keep the land. You have dominion over the land. So at some point... The man, and I talked about this last week to the guys, the man is supposed to honor God with the way he works. Girls, just a little FYI here. If you got a lazy guy, run because he's not a godly guy. God is nowhere near laziness. He tells Adam to work the land. He tells Adam to work the land. But what does that mean, and what does that mean for us in the environment and being green? Okay, There's, there's two different kind of, there's two different kind of um, ways of thinking about this kind of in our culture today. And uh, one is very evangelical, to be quite honest with you, and the other is very kind of liberal leftist. Okay, I'm going to go there, but this isn't a political thing, I'm just telling you that. This is just very, very general stereotypes of what kind of sometimes we as the church treat the environment, and sometimes those outside the church that are very uh, green or whatever treat the environment. So there's two different types of uh, ways of viewing the environment. There's two extremes. Here's the first extreme. The first extreme is what I like to call um, the Mother Earth extreme. Okay. These are the people who love the earth, right, so much that it's almost like they worship the earth. They're tree huggers, okay? Just going there. I'm not capping anybody if you're a tree hugger in here. You hugged a tree today. I'm sorry. Um, so right here we've kind of got people that represent the two extremes. you got this girl here, and she's hugging the tree. Not only is she hugging the tree, she is kissing the tree, right? So um, we've got tree huggers, and then you've got some people who are extreme, man. They're tree kissers, right? They got, they got green everything, man. Their house is green. A friend of mine, um, when I was living in Houston, Texas, has anybody ever been to Austin, Texas? Okay, Austin is a very green, or at least wannabe city. Austin's a cool city. If I lived in Texas again, I would live in Austin. Um, When I was living in Houston, there was a concert, one of my favorite bands called Mute Math was playing in Austin. And so I said to my friend, if, if if I buy your ticket, will you go see uh, mute math with me in Austin? He said, yeah. I said, do you have a, a I mean, where are we going to stay? And he said, my sister-in-law lives there. It's fine. So we drive up there and we get to her sister, his sister-in-law's house. And she's super, I mean, she is an Austinite to the hilt. Okay. Everyone has these shirts in Austin that says, uh, they say, keep Austin weird. Okay. Cause Austin is weird and that's okay. Uh, it's a different place. So we go there and um, her, his sister-in-law was extremely green and i'm not kidding you she was also extremely rich one thing i'm figuring out if you want to be really green you have to be really rich okay you got to have some green so (laughs) i ain't got that man so come on bring on the the gasoline um so we get there and her house is like solar paneled and she's driving a hybrid car and she's like plugging it in she's like we can't leave for two more hours my car's got to charge i'm like come on So uh, she's like, we can take the bike, though. I'm like, no, it's Austin. It's hot. We're not taking the bike. So some people are really concerned about being green, almost to the extreme that they worship the earth. Now, I'm going to show you in a minute when we get to Psalm 19 and Psalm 8 why that's a problem. So some people are really green. They want to worship the earth. They want to hug trees and kiss trees. And yeah, anyway, so then on the other extreme, you've got that Mother Earth, let's worship nature kind of person. And then on the other extreme, you've got the destruction view. Now, to be quite honest with you, I've heard many people in church say this, and it goes something like this. Well, someday, the earth is just going to all burn away anyway, so it doesn't really matter what we do to it. So, so this guy over here, who looks quite angry, to be honest with you, Olivia drew him, and she got him out tonight when she was putting him up. I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> I was like, I told you to make somebody angry, but that guy looks like, I'm going to have nightmares tonight. So... <laughs> like guys chopping trees down in my yard, man. I don't even have trees. So, um, cause I'm not green. Um, I digress. Um, so this guy kind of represents that view, right? It's like trash everywhere here. And this is just trash. You pull out of the trash cans here. So it's trash. This guy's cutting a tree down, man. And some of y'all are like, so if I've cut a tree down, does that mean I'm a sinner? Um, it's not what we're saying. Um, This view says this, basically, someday the earth is going to pass away, everything's going to burn up, it doesn't really matter how I treat the earth. You don't really think about it, right? And to be honest with you, I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, nobody there is green, um, at least not when I was growing up, nobody was thinking anything about the environment, so you just kind of grow up, it's not like you hate the environment, you just don't think about God's creation. Anybody there with me? You just don't think about it. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Mother Nature, worshiping the earth, hugging trees, is not really the view that's biblical. Destroying the earth, not even caring about the earth, or at least being apathetic towards God's creation, is not really biblical either. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look and see how is, how is it that we should respond As college students who love the Lord, as people who love the Lord, as Jesus followers who want to see Jesus worshiped in all the earth, how should we respond to this thing called being green and really not even being green as a political agenda? Just how should we care about the environment? And why does it even matter, right? Does it matter? I used to sit where you're sitting and go, nah, it doesn't really matter, man. I just want to tell people about Jesus. Here's what we're going to see by caring about God's creation, you in essence are telling people about Jesus. Let me show you why. If you got your Bibles, go to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm 8. Psalm chapter 8. And if you're ambitious, you can go to Psalm chapter 19. We're going to kind of hang out here. You said, I thought we were studying Genesis. We are. Psalm 8 is a mirror of Genesis. It reflects it. Here's what happens in verse 1. Follow me here. The psalmist says this. O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you've established strength because of the fo- your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars with which you have set in a place, what is it? What is man that you are mindful of him and the Son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So here's what the psalmist David says. We're going to see why it matters that we care about creation, and what is the biblical view? Not the extreme of worshiping creation, or not the extreme of destroying creation, but if God is an artist, and creation is his handiwork, then how do we honor him? Well, here's the first reason that it matters how we respond to creation, because here's what it says. Look at Psalm 8, and we'll start there in verse 1. It says this again, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Here's the one thing that God is really concerned about. And we say this a lot here, but I want you to get this. Because I want to connect this idea of caring about creation to the bigger picture, not just a political agenda. I ain't got no political agendas here. I'm not running for office. God is greatly concerned about his name being famous in all the earth. Anybody with me there? Amen. Amen. God wants his name to be famous in all the earth. So that's why we spend thousands of dollars to go to other countries that are sometimes dangerous, to be honest with you. That's why we pray for other countries. That's why we pray for our country, because we want God's name to be famous. In China, in Africa, at USF, we want God's name to be famous. So that's how the psalmist starts. He said, God, I want your name to be famous in all the earth. Well, how's that going to happen? Well, it happens to us, but the psalmist sees another way that it happens. Check this out. Verse 1, he says that he wants his name to be famous. But look at the second part of the verse. He says, you have set your glory above the heavens. Here's the first reason we should really be concerned about creation. Because creation reflects, displays the glory of God. Here's what he says. He says, your name is to be great in all the earth. And partly, one of the ways that God's name is great in all the earth, at least the starting point for some people, right, is this. Is that they see his glory in the heavens. Here, here's what it says. It says that he has set his glory above the heavens. If you got your Bibles, go to Psalm chapter 19. We'll kind of tag that here. Psalm chapter 19. And a lot of us know this, but it's an amazing passage. The psalmist says this, and we sang it tonight. In a couple of the songs, but it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Have you ever just stepped outside at the beach and watched the sunrise or the sunset? Man, it's a worship filled moment. It's a worship filled moment. Check out what else he says here. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I love this. Check this out. Day after day, they pour out speech. And night after night, they reveal knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. He says day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. There is not a land where their voice is not heard is what it means. Basically, God is screaming. He's shouting his glory all over the earth, even in places where the gospel has never been. So why should I care about creation? First of all, because through creation, God is shouting his name. He is the artist, and he's saying, I have displayed myself in my artwork. And in doing that, he's trying to draw people to himself. In Romans chapter 1, I won't go there for the sake of time, but it basically talks about how God has set up his glory in all the earth. He's revealed himself through nature, And then what it says in Romans chapter 1 is really interesting. Because you hear people ask this question a lot. Well, what about the people in the tribe in Africa who never hear about Christ? Do they go to hell when they die? It's a great question. But what Romans chapter 1 says is that nobody is without excuse when it comes to the gospel. Why? Because there's a little thing called general revelation, and there's a little thing called specific revelation. General revelation basically says this. We're going to go deep for a second. General Revelation says this that if I step outside it is possible for me to know that there's a God because I see the artist and I see his artwork. I know there's an artist because I see his artwork. If I go to a museum, no one questions if an artist painted those paintings. No one does. Because an art a piece of art does not come about by itself. And so here's what Romans says, no one is without excuse. Because when they step outside, they see the creation of God. So general revelation says everybody has the opportunity to know that there at least is a creator. And I've heard stories after stories in missions classes when I was in Bible school and seminary of tribes who realized there was a creator, knew there must be one true God, one artist, so to speak, and they began to worship that one true God. Even though they didn't know who he was or what his name was or what he was like, and then God at the same time spoke to the heart of somebody who said, you need to go to this tribe and tell them about Christ because they've realized maybe that there is a God. And so there's been story after story of missionaries showing up and these guys in these tribes basically going, hey, we've just been waiting on you, man. <laughs> We've seen God and his glory and his creation. We've just been waiting on you. And there's been crazy stories, too, about my missions professor told me one time, this guy who he knew that went to this tribe in Africa, and they had had a dream, the chief of the tribe had had a dream that a man who was white-skinned would come with a book that would tell him about the God who made everything. So you tell me, you tell me if creation displays the glory of God. It does. It continues on. I think i proved my point. Psalm chapter (laughs) 8. Psalm chapter 8, he continues on. He says, uh, skip down to verse uh, verse 3. Creation matters because it displays God's glory. But then it also matters because it reminds us of who we are and how small we are. Check this out. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars with which you have set into place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you've crowned him with glory and with honor. He says this, when I look at your handiwork, at the work of your fingers. Now, think about this for a second. He says, when I look at your handiwork, and I look at the work of your fingers, and then he says what the work of God's fingers are. <laughs> it's not like crochet, right? My grandmother used to crochet. You may got a grandma who crochets like blankets, and my mom crochets things? I always go to my... my when I go, my mom's my parents live in Tennessee, and they're probably listening. Hi, mom. Um, when I go home, my mom is always making uh, afghans. You might know what afghan is. It's like a yeah. It's like all the time, man. We got afghans like crazy. It's so awesome. So that's like she does that with her fingers. She does that with her with her hands, right? Maybe some of you um you, you know people who can do things really awesome with their hands. But but when you talk about handiwork, I'm not thinking about like building a house. That's not handiwork. Anybody ever worked on a house before? That's labor, man. That's like picking up wood and hammering things and sweating. And I don't do that. So that's heart, right? I don't crochet either, by the way. Um, (laughs) So what do you do? I drink coffee, okay? Um, And I type on my computer. Um, but, But then here's what he says. The handiwork of God is this. Check this out. Look at the verse. Here's what it says. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars are the works of the fingers of God. God has not lifted his arms. He's not stood up from his throne. He's sitting at his throne going, moon, stars, there you go, bam. And here's then what the psalmist says. His response is this. Check it out. What am I that you are mindful of me? I don't know if you've ever stood outside watching a sunset and wondered God, why are you so concerned about me? Why are you so concerned about my relationships? God, why are you so concerned about what's going on in my life? Why are you so concerned, God, about me paying my school bills? God, why are you so concerned about the next step I take in life? God, how can you, the God who made all this, really care about me? I think if we were honest, we would say sometimes we feel like that. And here's what the psalmist says. I am humbled by the fact when I look at creation and I see the finger work of God, the moon and the stars, that God would consider me and be mindful of me. But get this, he is. Today, while God was making sure that the sun did not collide into the earth, and when he was telling the ocean where to stop, he was mindful of you. Let that blow your mind for a second. He was mindful of Matt. He was mindful of the fact that Matt is really concerned about Jane in Ethiopia. He was mindful of the fact that sometimes I feel stressed out because of all the things I have to do in a week. He's mindful of your tests. He's mindful of your struggles. He's mindful of you. And here's what's really good about that is when I see creation, and the reason why creation matters is when I step out and I look at all that God has made, it humbles me because he's mindful of me, yet that is his fingerwork. Isn't that amazing? He continues on. Look at Psalm 8. Creation really matters because it glorifies God. It matters because it reminds us of who we are. But then check this out, kind of building on what we just said. Verse 4 says this, What is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Some of your Bibles say you've made him a little lower than the angels. And you've crowned him with glory and honor. And you've given him dominion over the works of your hands. And you've put all things under his feet. All sheep, all oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. So it says here, it says that we are very small, but yet this big God has given us dominion. Everybody say dominion. That's a big, crazy Bible word, dominion. Over all this creation that he made with his fingers. It says here that he's made you and I a little lower than the heavenly beings or a little lower than the angels. But if you really translate that correctly, the word here in Hebrew actually is the word that means God. He's made us a little lower than God. You say, well, why does it say angels there? Because in fact, when It's kind of hard to explain, but I'm going to try to. In fact, when in the New Testament, the word was described or translated, they went back to the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. And so when many of your Bibles were translated from from this passage, for whatever reason, they chose to use the Greek Septuagint word for angel. But if you go back to the Hebrew word, it says a little lower than God. Now, what that doesn't mean, I've talked about this, is that we're God. But what it does mean is that we're made in the image of God. and We have been made a little lower than God. You notice this. It doesn't say that we've been made a little higher than the animals. It's a big distinction there. It doesn't say we've been made a little higher than the angel, than the animals. It does say we've been made a little lower than God. And because of that, God has said, I'm going to give you dominion over my creation. Now, here's what dominion has many times meant to people. Because this goes back to the, uh, the really angry guy here with an axe. This guy says, I've got dominion over the earth, so I'm just going to destroy the earth, right? Most people, when they hear the word dominion, they think a very angry thing. They think a very like like forceful thing. I've got dominion, right? But let me just tell you what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you've got dominion so you can destroy the earth. Here's what it does mean. It means you have dominion to steward to care for, to shepherd, in a sense, creation. God has given me dominion over my family. Like, whoa, hey, I have dominion over my household. Meaning this, I am the leader of my house. Ultimately, I make decisions for my household. But me having dominion over my household doesn't mean that I wreck my household. It means I care for my daughter. It means I love my wife. It means I take care of my home, our dwelling place. means I cut my grass, which I hate, but I live in a villa in Fishhawk, so I don't cut my grass. Hey, man. (laughs) I used to hate cutting the grass in Houston when we lived there. We had a big yard, kind of, and it's hot in Houston, and Rachel would always be like, it's Saturday. You need to go cut the grass. I'm like, no, it's Saturday. It's my Sabbath, man. Get off my Sabbath, right? We're going to talk about that next week. She's like, no, it's not. Cut the grass. Uh, (laughs) It's good for man to work. Get out there and work, man. Um, (laughs) But basically this is that we have been given this task to shepherd and to steward the earth. And it's a crazy task. But some of us think dominion means I can just treat it however I want to because someday it's going to blow up and burn away, right? Someday God will have a new heaven and a new earth, but if I have dominion over something and I just destroy it, God did not give Adam dominion so he could destroy the earth. So if God is this, this kind of ultimate artist, right, and his artwork, his creation is all that we see around us. How do you honor an artist? You honor an artist by admiring his handiwork. You ask any artist in this room, the one thing they want to hear from people is, man, that is an amazing piece of art. You honor an artist by honoring his work. So, for instance, if I were standing in a, in a museum and there was a, a Van Gogh painting, and I'm looking at this painting, and Van Gogh walked up. That would be weird, number one. (laughs) I would call CNN or something. I don't know who I'd call. I'd call Greg Sweers, man. I'd be like, get this out. Um, I just saw Greg sitting back there. So so I would call somebody. But if Van Gogh walked up, and I'm standing there looking at his artwork, I wouldn't bow down and start worshiping his painting. I wouldn't walk up to the painting and go, you are so awesome. I just want to take you home, right? (laughs) You know what I would do? I would look at Van Gogh, and I would say, that is amazing. Did you know that people hang your stuff all over their houses? That is amazing. What I wouldn't do is worship the artwork. But here's what happens is some people get out of balance, and the Scripture always brings us back to balance, doesn't it? Some people get off over here wacky, worshiping the earth, hugging trees, kissing trees. That's this deal. But they're worshiping the creation. Go back to Psalm 19. Take your Bibles. Go back to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Here's what it says. Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and they proclaim his handiwork. The heavens and the earth and the skies are not God. But here's what some people do. They worship the earth, and they make it their God. They worship the art. There's a piece of art up here, and um, it would be possible for me to worship this art. It would be possible for me to say, man, this is a really cool piece of art. I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to love it. I'm going to worship it. That would be ridiculous. But then there's kind of the the other angle here that I could do to the art. So, basically, I've destroyed it now, right? And I've also tried to figure out how I'm going to do this without spilling it. (laughs) I'm letting it it soak in now, man. There we go. There we go. I'm I'm bound and determined to destroy this room. Glass, Dr. Pepper, whatever. Okay, there we go. Okay. Okay. So this did not, uh, you're like, that kind of looks cooler, actually. Uh, Start putting root beer on paintings, and it smells good. Uh, (laughs) If I want to honor the artist, I don't destroy his artwork. For me to honor the artist doesn't mean that I destroy his artwork. It means that I honor the artist. But what would happen sometimes is if I I was going to honor the guy who painted this, it doesn't honor him to destroy it to mess it up, to pour Coke on it. That's not what he was thinking when he was painting this, right? And Katie and told me, by the way, this is a real guy. So whoever this is, I'm sorry. Um, it doesn't honor the artist to destroy his artwork. But here's what we do a lot of times. Without thinking about it, apathetically, we just, we just ruin God's handiwork. If God has given you dominion over the earth, then He check this out. As a people, as a nation, it is wrong for us to treat the earth in a way that it is ours. It is wrong for us to take resources out of the earth, to rip the earth of things, to emit gases into the earth that will ultimately destroy it. It's wrong because God has given us dominion. He said, steward the earth. If I want to love the artist, then one of the things I do is I love his artwork. If I want to honor the artist, I honor his artwork, but I don't worship his artwork. So here's what he says in Psalm 8. He continues on. This is kind of the last deal here, but he says this, Psalm chapter 8, we're almost done here, and this is great because it all points to Jesus, as it always does. He says, verse 6, you've given dominion over the works of your hands and you put all things under his feet. All the sheep, all the oxen, all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the seas. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Here's what I know is that although here it says that you have put all things under our feet, he says he's put all things under our feet. All dominion has been put under our feet. What I know is that I don't have full dominion over the earth. The earth fights us, right? You ever tried to plant something? Cutting grass, I, I did landscaping the summer before my senior year. I hated it, man, because every day I felt like I was fighting the earth, right? I'm like, cutting and it, it's growing. I'm cutting and it, it's growing. I'm like, come on. It's effect of the fall, Genesis chapter 3. You will work the land, thorns will come out of the ground, you will sweat your face off. Have fun. So we know that we don't have full dominion over the earth, but what is going to give us full dominion over the earth? Take your Bible and go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter two, the writer of Hebrews, some people think it was Paul, but to be really honest with you, we really don't know for sure, but whoever the writer of Hebrews was in Hebrews chapter two talks about the founder of our salvation. And what's interesting is he quotes Psalm eight. Look at verse five of Hebrews chapter two. Now it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection under his feet, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying basically this. Presently, we do not have full dominion over the earth. We don't. The earth is not responding to me well, okay? I'm fighting it. It's pushing up thorns. It's hard to take care of the earth. It says right now we don't have full sub- subjection. It's not fully subjected to us. But then look at verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death so, but that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone, for it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctified and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you the name of my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Here's what he is saying in Hebrews. He's saying we do not have full dominion over the earth. It was lost at the fall, just like a lot of things were. But check out what Jesus is doing. It all points back to Jesus. He says, someday. Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a period of time, that's what the the writer of Hebrews says, will deliver to us, and we will join with him in having full dominion over the earth. What does that mean? It means that in Jesus is wrapped up full restoration of what we were supposed to be in the first place. Part of that is that we have full dominion over the earth. Part of that is that we care for the earth. So the extremes of worshiping the earth, that doesn't work because you're worshiping the creation, not the creator. Romans 1 talks about that. The extreme of killing the earth doesn't work because it kills God's creation. When we kill God's creation, we kill what he made, and it doesn't honor him. But then there's this middle ground that says, I want to care for God's creation, but ultimately I worship the creator. And someday, Jesus is going to restore all things. He's going to give us full dominion. It's going to be the way it was supposed to be. I said this a few weeks ago, but in Hebrew literature and Hebrew understanding, there's not linear thought. It's basically... We think sometimes a story is beginning, middle, end. Jewish culture thinks more like this. Beginning, middle, beginning. And someday Jesus is going to take all things that have been ruined by the fall, and he is in the process of making them new. What matters most to God is the souls of man. And that's why it matters that we care for creation. You say, what? That doesn't even make sense. Here's why it makes sense. If the heavens declare the glory of God, then my desire is that the name of Jesus be famous all over the earth. And if his creation makes that known, then I want to care for his creation. I want to care for it. Now, let me confess something to you tonight. Um, I drive... A Jeep Cherokee that is horrible for the environment. (laughs) I'm just pretty sure it is. Mostly because it has mold in the passenger floorboard. (laughs) That's another story. We don't have an eco-friendly house, probably. But what we have decided to start doing is realizing that in some way, if I want my spirituality to be holistic and I want to worship God through caring about creation, there's some very simple things we can do. My wife and I, we recycle. At our house, we recycle. As much as possible, we recycle. It's it's, it's just stupid simple. They give you the bins. You put it out. It's easy, right? It's not brain surgery. You say, well, what about all the places don't recycle? My school and and all these places, you you can't, you, you don't have any control over that. You know what you have control over? Your life. So in your realm of influence, Begin to look for ways where you can go, how can I just in very small ways, not in an effort to be green or have some political agenda, but because I want to worship God in the way I treat his creation. I want to honor the artist by honoring his artwork. That's what it looks like. You don't know why? Because it points people ultimately to Jesus. It all culminates. Christ. And tonight, if you don't know Christ, then, then it doesn't make sense why you would want to honor the earth. Or maybe you're over on this end. You're you're hugging the tree, man. But you've forgotten that God is the one who made the tree. And sometimes people get wrapped up in worshiping the creation, and God is going, "I made that." There's something greater than that. I'll close with this. I went to Ethiopia back in um, March. I'm going there again in November. Um, we went with a team of three guys, and we were doing some um, some prep work for a team that's going to go in November. We went to this little village called Garagatessa, right outside of Addis Ababa, which is the capital of Ethiopia. We went there, and in this city, there is a village. It's 3,000 people. It's tiny. Spread out all over the place, living in huts. I mean, it's what you think Africa is. We went to this village, and there's one believer there. He is a government-appointed nurse. He's been sent there by the government to care for 3,000 people. They built him a slab concrete clinic and gave him meager supplies and said, care for these people. So we went there. The reason why we went there is because the man of peace, the local that we work with, church planter named Afwork, got a call from this guy, and he said, I have a passion for these people. I want to see them know Christ. I want to plant a church in this village. There's a guy that understands why he's there. Most of us would be like, I hate this. I want to go home, right? He's like, dude, I'm playing a church, man. So we go to visit this guy, and he's just passionate, man. Half the time I didn't know what he was saying. I just knew he was passionate. He loved the Lord. And um, we meet with him, and then he says, why don't you walk around my village before you leave and, and just meet some of the people? So there was this guy there that was with us who had brought us to the village, and he was, this is kind of a crazy connection. I'll try to make it make sense, but he had left the village to go to Addis go to school, which was crazy in and of itself. He got an opportunity to go get an education. Afwork, this is divine, met him, led him to Christ, and he looks at Afwork and says, yeah, and we didn't know this up to this point. He says, yeah, my mom lives in this village. We're like, what? He's like, yeah, my mom lives over there, like right down there. And so Afwork's like, well, let's go see his mom. Like, okay. So I said, how far is that? That's about 15 minutes. When you're an African, they tell you something's 15 minutes. It's not. They're lying to you. It's like an hour, man. I got, like, Chuck Taylors on, not great for walking around Africa, right? I'm wearing jeans and, like, a pretty a decent shirt because we were in a car ride. We were going to go there and go back. So I was like, it's going to be an easy day. Mm-mm. We walked for an hour and a half over – I've never trekked like this before. And, and the whole, I'm seeing the creation of God, man. We're walking over trees, and there's thorns and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. We come to this hut that is in this valley. It's one hut there. We walk down, and I'm like, we're all dying. We're like – And this lady walks out, and she starts saying something in Amharic to us. And I'm like, I'm so glad to see you. I've never been so glad to see a hut in my life. (laughs) She's offering us goat's milk, and I'm like, no, it's cool. I got water. But I ended up drinking the goat milk. Um, We go in this lady's house. Long story short, we start to share the gospel with her. I looked at her son, and I said, "Um, does your mom know Christ? He said, no. I said, have you seen your mom since you've come to Christ? He said, No. He had not been back to the village in years where he grew up at. So we started to share the gospel with this lady. And here's what she said. This is Psalm 19 screaming, man. Share the gospel with her, and she said, you know what? She said, I've always thought, this is through two translators, by the way. She said, I've always thought there was somebody in control. She said, I always thought but there was a God who made all this stuff. That's what she said. She said, I've not worshipped the trees and the land like all of my relatives have. Because the religion there is animism. You know what animism is? Animists worship the trees. An animist says God is in the trees, he's in the creation, so you worship the creation. She said, I've not worshipped like my relatives have. She said, because I don't think that you should worship the trees. I said, you're right on. She said, I think you should worship the God. So she didn't know who the God was. So that day we got the opportunity to share Christ with her. Now this would be an awesome story if I said she received Christ that day, but she didn't. She said, I'm not ready because I know that if I accept Christ, then I won't get the proper burial and everyone in my village will reject me. We walked out of that village that day and we said, we're coming back here. Because there's a whole group of those people who are worshiping the creation, they're not worshiping the Creator, and they just need someone to go, "Hey, just look up, just a little bit, man. You're close. (laughs) Just look up." Tonight, if you don't know Christ, the likelihood is that you're worshiping the creation. You're worshiping stuff. You're worshiping money. You're worshiping cars. You're worshiping houses. You're worshiping popularity. You're worshiping relationships. You know what? None of those things are bad. They're all good. The Bible says God is the giver of good gifts. But whether it's worshiping trees or worshiping money and stuff, we all have a tendency to worship the created and not the creator. And so tonight, maybe you just need to give your life to Christ, man. Stop worshiping the created and worship the creator who made all the stuff that you love and realize that he's a good God. Christ Jesus died for you, and all creation is pointing you to the cross. That's why it matters. That's why it matters that we care about creation. Not because of political agenda or we want to be green or hip or cool or trendy, because we love the glory of God more than anything else. That's why it matters. I'm going to pray, and uh, then Josh is going to, going to lead us in some more worship. And um, the prayer room is right back here, Caddy corner to us. If you want to pray with somebody, there's people back there to pray with you. If you just need to go be alone with the Lord, you can walk right back th- through there. It's, as you walk out of here, it's kind of to your... Uh, right and then left. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much that uh, your word is so relevant. God, we don't have to make it relevant. We don't have to dress it up, make it cool. Father, it just is relevant because it's your word, and there's nothing more relevant than your spoken word. And God, even tonight as we talk about this issue of being green and caring about the environment, it's a very, very, very hot topic today. But God, you do care about the environment because it displays your glory. You're the artist, and it is your artwork, and it points to you. God, I pray. That on some level, we as your people would care about the environment. Not because we have a political agenda or we want to be cool, because we love your glory. And your scripture says that it points to you and your glory. And so tonight, Father, we worship you. We don't worship the created, we worship the creator. We worship you, God, the creator of all things, the one that holds all things together. We worship you, Jesus. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. You can stand your feet.